Chapter 18 of The Shadow of Victory. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Crystal Armida. The Shadow of Victory by Myrtle Reed. Chapter 18 If I Were in Command. Long before the word had been given, the Indians were coming in Winnebagoes, Ottawas, Chippewas, and Pottawatomies from north, south, and west, were gathering in the woods around Fort Dearborn. Like the rattlesnake coiled to strike, like vultures drawn to a battlefield, silent, sinister, and deadly, the lines were closing in. Noon was the hour appointed for the council, and at that time Black Partridge, through Mackenzie, made known to Captain Franklin that it would be another day before all the Pottawatomies could be assembled. Till noon of tomorrow's sun, said the captain sternly, not one moment more. Beatrice from the window of the trading station, saw innumerable Indians dressed and painted in the manner of other tribes, carefully inspecting the house and barn, as if appraising their value. The agency building was haunted by others, who peered in furtively at the windows, hoping for an early look at the goods which were to be distributed among the tribes. Mrs. Mackenzie had recovered from the first shock, and went about the house as usual, quiet yet cheerful, and patient with the children, and her manifold household tasks. To Beatrice only, she admitted her fear. Don't talk about it, Aunt Eleanor. We must all try to think about something else. Yes, sighed Mrs. Mackenzie. We must not fret away the strength we will need for the journey. Your uncle has slept scarcely an hour since the news came. I know, Aunt Eleanor, I know. You must help me be brave, dear. Some way of late, I have felt myself a coward, and it has made me ashamed. Not for myself alone, but for the children. The sweet voice quivered then broke, and for the moment Beatrice's eyes were dim, but she swiftly put the weakness from her. There's nothing to be afraid of, Aunt Eleanor. The British haven't come, and as for the Indians, why, they wouldn't dare to attack the soldiers. We'll get to Fort Wayne, safe and sound, and perhaps the whole army will go on to Detroit with us. I wonder what my aunt and uncle will say when they see me riding Queen into Fort Wayne at the head of the troops. Mrs. Mackenzie laughed in spite of herself. I hope you're right, B. Forsyth and Ronald were walking back and forth in front of the fort, talking earnestly. A little apart stood Mackenzie and Captain Franklin, while Indians went in and out of the stockade, apparently at pleasure. Aunt Eleanor, said Beatrice thoughtfully, I read a story once about a girl. There were two men who, who, well, they liked her, you know. They were both good, but there was a difference. One always teased her and tormented her, and made her feel at odds with herself, even though she knew he was just in fun. The other always rested her. No matter how tired she was, or how much out of sorts she happened to be, it always made her feel better to be with him. He was quiet, and his ways were gentle, and he knew more about books and things, you know. The other one was a soldier, and this one was a student, but he wasn't brave. He couldn't help it, but he was afraid. A woman never could love a man who wasn't brave, said Mrs. Mackenzie. No, of course she couldn't. And if a man always teased and tormented a woman and made her feel irritable, she would never be happy with him. No, she couldn't expect to be. Perhaps she made a mistake about the other one. Perhaps he really was brave. No, because she saw him twice when she knew he was afraid. Then she shouldn't marry either one. That's what I thought, said Beatrice. Which one did she marry? Who, Aunt Eleanor? Why, the girl in the story. Oh, answered Beatrice, coloring. 
Why, well, I've forgotten. It's queer, isn't it, how people forget things? What book was it in? I, I don't remember. My memory's pouring, Eleanor. I'm going to my room now, if you don't want me, and pack up some of my things. Red and white clover blossomed in the yard, where the children were playing, and a butterfly winged its way through the open window, then flew swiftly out again. Mrs. Mackenzie sat by the table with her face hidden in her hands, while childish voices came to her ears, in laughing cadence, and filled her heart with fear and pain. Then there was a touch upon her shoulder. Eleanor, why, she said, looking up, I didn't hear you, John. Her clear eyes revealed a sadness beyond tears. Eleanor, said her husband, with the muscles working about his mouth, I can't bear for you to feel so. I'm all right, John. Don't fret about me. No, you ain't all right. Don't you think I know? I've brought you into danger, Eleanor. I see it now, and that's the thing that hurts me most of all. It's nothing to lose all I've got, for that's happened to me before, and I'm only fifty. I can get it all back again, but I can't ever change the fact that I've brought you into danger. I promised before God that I'd protect you, and I haven't done it. I've taken you to a place where it ain't safe. The man's distress was pitiful. His gigantic frame was bent like an oak in the path of a furious storm, and every line on his haggard face was distinct, as if it had been cut. His dark eyes under their bushy brows were utterly despairing. He was like one whose hope is dead and buried past the power of resurrection. John, dear, she began with her hand on his bowed head. I've brought you into danger, he said helplessly. I've brought you into danger, you and... A lump in his throat put an end to speech and with his hand he indicated the children. John, dear, don't talk so. I can't help feeling anxious, but I'm not afraid. In all the nine years we've lived here, the Indians have been our friends. There isn't one who would lift his hand against you or yours. They ain't all our friends, Eleanor. There's hundreds and hundreds of them coming in, even from as far away as Wabash. How should they know that we are their friends? I've brought you into danger, he repeated. I can't ever forget that. My husband, she said, and the tone was a caress. We promised each other for better or for worse. Where thou goest, I will go. Thy people shall be my people, and I forget the rest. If we've come to danger, we'll meet it together, side by side. When I promised to marry you, I didn't mean it just for the smooth places. I meant it for all. In all these twelve years, you've shielded me. Whatever you could do to make things easier for me, you've done. And all that love and care has been in vain, if I am not strong enough to do my part now. There's never been a harsh word between us, John. We've never fussed and quarreled as some married people do, and we never will. The road has been long, and sometimes it's been dusty and hot, but we've never walked on thorns. And whatever we've come to, you've always helped me through it. If this is the end, why, there's nothing to look back on to make either of us ashamed. Nothing to regret, not a word to be sorry for, not a single thing for which either of us should say, Forgive me. If this is death, we'll face it as I have dreamed we should. If God were good to us, we'll face it as I've prayed we might, hand in hand. Eleanor, he cried, clasping her in his arms. Brave heart, you give me faith. True soul, you make me strong. His trembling lips sought hers. Then on her face she felt his tears. Well, upon my word, said Beatrice from the doorway, I hope I don't interrupt. 
Blushing like a schoolgirl, Mrs. Mackenzie released herself, and the trader laughed mirthlessly. "'You're a saucy minx, Bee,' he said, with a little catch in his voice. Then the primitive masculine impulse asserted itself, and he went out, covered with confusion. "'What have you been doing, Bee?' "'Nothing much. How pretty you are, Aunt Eleanor. I haven't seen your cheeks so pink for a day.' The deep color mantled Mrs. Mackenzie's fair face. "'Where's Robert?' she asked hastily. "'Don't know,' murmured Beatrice, instantly beating a retreat. "'See, Aunt Eleanor?' Out of the mysterious recesses of her pocket she drew a bag, made of gay calico, with a long string attached to it. "'Very pretty, dear. What is it for?' "'It's for cartridges,' laughed Beatrice. "'If I ride with the soldiers, I have to bear arms. I've got my pistol, the one Mr. Ronald gave me the day after I came here, and I'm going over to the fort now, after ammunition.' She seemed to be in high spirits as she pirouetted around the room but there was an undertone of sadness, even in her laugh. She was halfway to the door when she turned, moved by a sudden tenderness, and came back. Dear sweet Aunt Eleanor, she said, rubbing her cheek against Mrs. Mackenzie's, you've always been so good to me. Perhaps you've thought me ungrateful, but truly, I'm not, and I want to thank you now. You've been like a second daughter to me, dear, said the other, a little unsteadily. You've done more for me than I could ever do for you. Ronald was waiting for Beatrice on the other side of the river while she was pulling across, and she waved her bright-colored bag at him in gay fashion. You gave me a gun, she said, but you didn't give me anything to put in it. I want cartridges. How many? he asked, smiling. As many as the bag will hold. Foolish child, you can never carry all those. Oh, but I can. You don't know how strong I am. I'm going to tie it around my waist, you know. Happy bag said ronald as he took it from her i'll get them for you he continued seriously one more thing she said with a lowered voice if if well the indians will never get me and they shall not have queen where shall i shoot fire at the exact center of the line between queen's eyes in spite of herself the girl shuddered and and she asked looking up into his face the right temple answered ronald huskily heart's desire you are a mate for a king forsyth passed them on his way to the entrance of the fort and beatrice put out a restraining hand where are you going cousin ronald home to open school i thought this was vacation it is but it is better for the children under the circumstances to have their minds occupied the oars splashed in the water and ronald turned to her again darling look interrupted beatrice there's the lieutenant she held him merrily. Cousin Ralph, is Catherine at home? I believe so, he answered, coming toward them. If not, she's at Mrs. Franklin's. I'm going to find her. She made an elaborate curtsy to each of them and departed. Ronald, said the lieutenant, this is absolute foolishness, and something has got to be done. How many hundred Indians do you suppose have already gathered here? And Black Partridge postponing the council till the rest get in. Any fool can see what it means. Yes, any fool but the captain, said the ensign bitterly. The parade ground was deserted, for the August heats beat fiercely upon the land. Stray Indians went in and out, and the sentinel, with his musket over his shoulder, paced round and round the fort. Lieutenant Howard cleared his throat. The lives of the women and children are in our hands, he said in a low tone. I'm not speaking for ourselves now. If Franklin is still set on this mad course, there's only one thing to do. His face and voice were eloquent with sinister meaning. The flag hung like a limp rag at the masthead. 
and the long droning notes of the locust sounded loudly in the tense stillness. Murder, whispered Ronald with his face white. Yes, murder. If you will have so. It's a harsh word, but I don't quibble at the term. Caesar had his Brutus, King Charles his Cromwell, and Ronald's head was bowed and his hands were tightly clenched. Sharp, hissing breaths came and went between his set teeth, and the lieutenant put his hand upon his shoulder. Boy, he said in a softer tone, I'm a soldier like you. So far I've marched as you have, true to my colors. But of late, I've been wondering if it wasn't time to turn. Since the first soldiers marched against the enemy, there has been a false worship of orders. We have regarded the dictum of a commander as equivalent to a fiat of God. Good men and true have gone to a needless death because the commander was a fool. You know what we're coming to. You can see it plain as day. Do you remember up at Lee's that night? You felt the mutilated bodies of those two men and came back with your hands stained with their blood. Our boys will be treated worse than that if the captain has his way. If you were in command, said Ronald thickly. If I were in command, that order should be torn to bits and scattered to the four winds. Every ounce of food in the agency storehouse, every pound of powder and shot, every musket, every rifle, and every pistol should be brought into the fort. I would drive the cattle inside the enclosure, keep a few in the stables, kill the rest, salt down the meat and preserve it. A cellar should be prepared for the women and children, a hospital corps drilled, the cannon in the blockhouses manned, and the gates of the fort closed. If I were in command, there should be no needless slaughter, no torture of women and children, no disemboweling of our soldiers, no cutting out hearts while we are still alive. No, we'd fight like soldiers, die like men. We'd hold the fort till the flag was shot to pieces, and not a man stood among its ashes to defend it, if I were in command. If you were in command, muttered Ronald. If I were in command, Fort Dearborn should go down to history with honor, not shame. Water and food are assured. What if the British, with all their forces, were hammering at our gates, allied with the Red Devils as they are? We have the fort at our back. They have the river and the open prairie. We could hold it for six months if necessary. The War Department says, No post shall be surrendered without battle having been given. And by the Lord, we'd give a battle that would fill hell with our enemies. One stroke will do it. One bullet from our precious store of ammunition. One man brave enough to strike, but it must be done tonight, now. The ensign's face was ghastly. Think what it means to you, whispered the lieutenant. Think of the woman you love. Oh, I know. I have not been blind. Would you see her put to the torture, stripped, violated, torn limb from limb by those fiends that even now are watching the fort? Think of their bloody, cruel hands upon her soft flesh. Think of the torture eyes burned out with charred sticks fingernails split off backwards, things that there are no words to name, while Beatrice cries to you. Boy, think of the woman you love, with her big childish eyes. Shall the savages burn them out, her dimpled hands? Shall her fingers be torn out one by one? Her sweet voice, shall it cry to you in vain? Think of her fair white body, at the mercy of two thousand fiends. Think what she means to you, her beauty and her laughter, her tenderness and her thorns. Then think of this. One man, one bullet, one moment, tonight, now. His voice died into a hoarse whisper, and Ronald writhed in anguish. 
For an instant only, the scales hung in the balance. Then he turned and faced him. No! he roared. By God, no! I'll protect the woman I love while a drop of blood is left in my body, as long as this sword has a hand behind it to fight. If I am powerless to save her, she shall die at my hands, but I'll be no beast. I'll not commit murder like a Brutus or a Cromwell. I'll not strike down my captain like a thief in the night. I'll stab no man in the back. I'll meet him face to face in a fair and open fight, and may the best man win. Ralph, you're beside yourself. You don't know what you're saying. You're a soldier, man. You're not a brute. Stand fast to your soldier's honor, and let God do as he will. We're all against him, officers and men. Perhaps there's not a man in barracks who would hesitate at what you ask. Mutiny and insurrection stalk abroad in our midst, but by the Lord I'll obey my orders. Strike the blow if you will, go like a coward and a thief to take the life of a brave man who is doing what seems to him his duty. Hire your contemptible assassin if you choose. But remember this, the man who touches one hair of my captain's head answers for it to me. End of chapter 18 Recorded by Crystal Armida, Texas.